0: Okay, here we go. Nice and quiet. Sound speeds, camera rolling.
1: Holding for sound. Last looks. Calling for last looks. And set
0: and action.
2: I need to swap batteries. You know, making movies is hard.
1: Making movies is hard. Welcome to Making Movies is Hard, the podcast about the struggles of being an independent filmmaker. I'm Liz Manischel. And I am Ulrich Brassell. This week we have uh, two wonderful repeat guests, uh, repeat for you, not for me, FYI, uh, writer-director Sean Lynch, cinematographer Gavin Murray, to talk to us about their film Red Snow and what it was like shooting in the snow.
0: And as it turned out, like we didn't have quite enough snow, but luckily like it just kind of worked out in such a way that we got there, there wasn't enough, we pushed all our exteriors to later and just like kept an eye on the 10-day forecast. And then luckily it just dumped on a day full of like daytime exteriors where we couldn't fake it because we faked it in a lot of places where we were able to like shovel it into frame and things like that. Or just there's a lot of low angles in the movie, which is which we get away with because it's a horror movie. But a lot of it is like hiding. There is just not enough snow on the ground in certain shots. Uh,
1: special fun fact, pop up video fact. Uh, Ulrich was a producer and assistant director on this film. Uh, so this will be a very fun discussion. I mean, I don't know. Is that why it'll be a fun discussion at all, Rick? Is it because? I think it was a
2: fun, uh, fun discussion. It was a fun movie to make. And it was like really exciting because I had just made the alternate and then jumped right into making another movie with another group of people. And so it was like, I was on this movie making high at the time.
1: A roller coaster uh, of movie making.
2: Yeah, I got to do two back to back. It was like. Super awesome. And then like COVID happened. And now it's like, well, <laughs> I mean, we, we, we did actually finish the reshoots for that movie. So we did, we did finish it, but like it does, it feels less likely for me to be back on set, you know,
1: in soon. that capacity. Yeah. But we'll
2: see. We'll see.
1: Actually that's something we don't have to talk about it right now, but it's like with the vaccine coming up, are restrictions going to be different or is it the same i we should like get some expert on to talk about that i'd love I think to it's hear it's going to
2: be the same and we could probably bring john schneider back to talk about this because i know he, he's worked on like the mandalorian and like wandavision and like some of these other huge shows for disney um recently and uh i don't know if i was supposed to say that but whatever he's not here <laughs> but- but he's been on huge sets as a point. Is, is my point even bigger, bigger ones than he was on when we had him on the show? So I'm sure he would have answers with that. But my gut is telling me that these restrictions are here to stay for at least for, time being. for a
1: while until we're New Zealand. Um, but yeah. in other news, Ulrich, you have mail. Breath catches in my chest
3: as I hear three
1: little words:
3: you got mail. Yes,
2: I do have mail, and I get to talk about it. Um, very excited that we have another, you know, podcast thing. What's a podcast thing? It's an iTunes review. We have another iTunes review. <laughs> we'll keep that in. That's fine. Who cares? Sure,
1: sure. Um,
2: and uh, this one is uh, from Drew B twenty four oh three, and the name of the review is "An Essential Podcast for Filmmakers." Making movies is indeed hard. Period listening to this podcast podcast is not period wow it's a joy to feel like you're learning right alongside all and liz all liz and all their inspiring guests if you're a filmmaker listen to this podcast five stars
1: wow. oh how i wish this were a stranger but this came out of a straight solicitation from twitter for me to ask for more itunes reviews <laughs> but thank you drewby2403 that was very nice of you to follow our our request. Well,
2: I mean, I don't know Droopy personally.
1: Right. Right. We don't have brunch with Droopy on a weekly basis. We're no. we're not besties with Droopy.
2: Right. They're just a Twitter friend, which is still an important person. So, you know.
1: VIP. A T I P. Oh god, that's bad. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> uh but <laughs> thank you Drew for leaving them. Oh, we didn't oh we don't have the thing. We don't have the thing that tells people. Let's see if wing. we can do it. Yeah, let's just wing it, right? If you, you want to be start? like Drewby, yeah. I'm just gonna I'm gonna roll with it. I'm gonna roll with it. um if you want to be like Drewby and you want to support us by writing a review or um or giving to our Patreon or writing us an email, you could do all those things. How can you do them, Alric?
2: Well, if you want to leave us a review, um, you can go to iTunes or Stitcher to do that part. If you want to send us an email or ask us a question or make a suggestion, you can write to podcast at com. I read all of those. I think Liz reads all of those too, because I know that- At
1: least 85%.
2: If I don't respond to one, Liz will respond to it. (laughs) Like if I don't get to it fast enough. So I know she reads them. Um, Also- if you want to do the other thing that she mentioned, Liz being the she, um, <laughs> you could go to patreon.com slash podcast to uh, you know support us. Uh, give us a buck a month, $2, $3. $4 gets you this shiny sticker, which maybe Liz is going to bring into frame. I Hold on, it's at the bottom of
1: this. It's here somewhere. Oh, wait. It's underneath a lot of stuff. <laughs> uh,
2: okay, it's, cancel oh, it is. that. It's
1: been a long time. So it's there so long. it is.
2: <laughs> Um, and then if you uh, give us $9, you'll get one of our fancy enamel pins, which I usually have on my desk, but since I moved, I don't have one right now. Um, and, uh, and yeah, those are the things to do. Oh, and the, the other really important thing you should do is you go to our uh, Instagram page, follow us if you haven't already. I'm sure you have, we have so many followers. Um, but if you have it, do that. And then either way, go to our bio, the link there, and then you can go to our YouTube page and be one of our, uh, you know. Followers on YouTube. Subscribe to our channel. We have like probably 174, I'm guessing, subscribers now or something like that.
1: Somewhere there, somewhere in that region
2: of yeah. numbers. We're trying to get to you know 200 probably by now. This is this is January 4th, so we we should have had 200 by now. I don't know if we did, but if we didn't, help us get to 200 and follow us there if you can. And yeah, I think without any more mumbling through things um we should get to this really exciting thing that i think you 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 can talk about right liz
1: yeah well, get shorty you
2: make
4: movies huh i produce feature motion pictures i got an idea for a movie
1: as everyone knows who listens to the show we like to support shorts creators and this week we have a film called hot cake by debbie bradshaw and here is debbie to talk about hot cake
3: hello ulrich Hello Liz, it's Debbie Bradshaw. Thank you so much for having me on Making Movies Is Hard. I am honored to be a guest and happy to talk about hot cake. So first question is, um, why this short and why this story? And the answer is that uh, basically I kept having a reoccurring dream about an event that happened to me when I was uh, a teenager and um, I went to therapy about that and I also wrote about it and my writing became a script and so uh, I wrote this the short and didn't know really what to do with it after that. I come from comedy, uh, improv and sketch and stand-up, so I, I've produced my own shows i've uh, I've written on shows and and um, uh, my husband and I have collaborated on monologues that we wrote and turned into animated projects uh, so i I knew that world but this was this was deep and uh, so unfamiliar. So I was friends with this woman who whose husband was a reader at a production company and I thought well he reads a lot of scripts maybe he'll have some uh, good advice for me or maybe he'll tell me whether it is anything. So um, I wrote him and then he wrote back and told me that it wasn't anything and that it needed more work and uh, I said okay (laughs) and uh, I I took those notes and kind of just stopped. I just stopped for about two years. I didn't look at the script. Um, and um, as time went on, uh, I reconnected with a friend of mine from college, and uh, she was having a premiere of her short at the Lady Filmmakers Film Festival in Beverly Hills. And I went and saw it, and uh, it was brilliant. Uh, she wrote it, she directed, she started it. Uh, it was so touching and I Really, it's a, a, a beautiful film. It's called The Strangeness You Feel, and Jackie Katzman was the filmmaker. And I thought, okay, well, I think I'm going to give her the script and see what she thinks. And so I did, and she told me that I have to make it. And so I said, okay, but who's going to direct it? And she said, you are. And I said... Oh, okay. And uh, then um, I was off. I guess I just needed that little push, and uh, I found another producer, Mike Bush, who I had known from comedy, from Upright Citizens Brigade and Improv Olympic, and uh, and he had worked on several shows. And I basically just surrounded myself with people who knew what they were doing. So that was, and they sure did. They were just wonderful. I just thank my my crew that were just unbelievably talented. And uh, so, yeah, and, and, and cast, of course, everybody was just, oh gosh, brilliant. So, okay, um, how did I come up with the funds? Well, I didn't wanna do just a regular sit at the phone and ask for money. I wanted to turn it into entertainment. Uh, I thought, wouldn't it be nice if this was something people could just watch just if they didn't even want to contribute money, they could just, Look at this video; it's funny, and so uh, so that's what I did. Uh, I, I I wrote a little script and uh, had all my friends and, and, and comedians and my family. Um, my brother took part in it, and we all we all created this uh, video together. That was a, a, I paid homage to the MTV at the time. The, the, my short is set in the 80s, so that's what I I wanted. Uh, to, to reflect. And, uh, oh boy, it was fun. It was so fun. Willie, uh, Willie Laszlo DP'd it. We shot it at, um, Whitney Melton's house in Los Feliz. Shout out to little Armenia. It was really just a great experience and uh, just taught me firsthand now, this is okay. I think this is just a little taste of what I'm gonna be doing. And uh, um, and it, yeah, it was, it was wonderful. And then I actually did put on a show. Uh, we, uh, we held a variety type thing at, at a theater with uh, with comics and magicians and a band. My sister in law, she had a band and she she was there and she performed and people did. All, it was just it was just oh so fun and and it raised all the money. So uh, both of those things and plus uh, there was savings and we put in the money. And I thank everybody for helping with that. It really was a collaborative effort and I'm so grateful uh, that we could do it. Before making the short, what did you think would happen to your career? Well, I was acting at the time. That's basically all I knew and all I focused my career on. So I only gave myself a five minute role as a waitress. So I really didn't think anything was gonna happen with my career. Uh, with, so, yeah, um, but what, what did actually happen is it completely changed my career and, and, uh, and the fact that, uh, it opened me up to all that I'm capable of as an artist, um, uh, being a, a director, a producer, um, and, uh, and an actor, and also, but, yeah, just everything you, when you produce your own work, you put, all of yourself in it. I have a ten-year-old child, and I, I say that this is <laughs> Hotcake is also my two-year-old child, and you nurture it just as much. You give just as much. You know, uh, maybe I'm a bad parent. I haven't I haven't talked to Hotcake in a while, so hello, uh, anyway, it's, it is, uh, it, it it took everything, uh, out of me, and that's, that's what you do when you want something to succeed, you give everything, and it, but it was a glorious experience, and I wouldn't change it for the world, because I'm writing now, I'm writing more than I have in my whole life, I'm, uh, I wrote, uh, a pilot. I wrote a series based on the show, um, or based on the on the short, which I want to turn into a show. So I I, I wrote a, a Bible I want to pitch, and we have pitched it, and we're going to pitch again. Um, so uh, I've written. An, I'm writing an animated show right now as well. So um, I directed a a short that will be entering the festival market in 2021, uh, written by Elizabeth Musgrave and produced by Frank Forte, called Soundman that I, I didn't, uh, that's a whole other world that I didn't expect to be in, so uh, uh, directing something I didn't write. And uh, that was glorious and wonderful and uh, fun and hard, very hard, but, um, but very satisfying. So, um, and also my husband and I are collaborating and have uh, produced another animated short. So, yeah, I mean, there's just so much that if you give yourself a chance to, to just try something different and to go go deep that you never know what can happen. Now that's, it's out, what's the purpose? I don't know uh, if it has a, well, my purpose, I guess, would be for it to be a talking point uh, between uh, men and women. I think at the time when it was shot and when we when we did this, we, we weren't really giving, I, I didn't Want a message? I wasn't promoting a message. Um, Maybe I should have. It would have gotten into more festivals. But it was a slice of life of my experience. So I I think, in in a way, it was a simpler time. But it's also not what you want to happen to your daughter. So uh you uh or anybody you you want who we're all daughters uh so uh we we need to talk about this more we need to tell uh, our um our sons and our husbands and our and our friends of how we want to be treated and how we um respect each other on that level so And it's also nostalgic, so maybe people from my generation will be like, hey, that's the 80s. I remember that when we didn't have cell phones. Would I do anything different now that it's out in the world? It's been out in the world. You know, I thought about that, and I kind of think if I rewrite the pilot, I may give the main character a boyfriend because um, maybe that boyfriend could go... Uh, go over to that guy's house, the, uh, the guy that wronged her and kick his ass. I thought about that, what would happen if everybody knew each other in the town, you know, and everybody knew what happened to the main character. So um, that's something that I'm kind of figuring out. And if it gets made into a series, you'll find out. Stay tuned. All right. Um, oh, boy. Okay, how'd you get um, the performances from your younger actors well I come from a background of, of uh, like acting that's my uh, and I, I'm always trying to go for the most honest that's when I'm doing anything I think in life we want to be honest we want to be truthful we want to go to the heart of of of, uh, of a scene and and so when we were in the moment I just wanted them to speak from their own truth, and luckily I had great actors who who could do that and could go there, and uh, and whether it be a, a funny moment, a happy moment, a, a terrifying one, um, it, it, we we went there, and I we they went on the ride, and I'm so grateful for it. I think it's talking to them. As if they are the character and what their character would do, because they are that character at the time, and uh, and that's the honesty that I got from from all of my actors. Yeah, you'll see for yourself. If you see it. They did a great job. <laughs> I mean, really. So, okay. Well, that's it. So thank you so much again for having me on the podcast. And stay safe, everybody. Be well. Happy New Year, Ulrich.
1: What did you think of Hot Cake?
2: Well, I loved it pretty much from start to finish. I just thought it was great. It was so unexpected uh, for a short film, for just from the beginning, for a lot of reasons, because it it wasn't anything like your typical short. First off, it was in an expensive, big location in a school. It's the first thing you see, and it's like opening up with like these teenage actors. Another thing you don't often see in short films, usually it's like, if it's made by teenagers, you'll see teenage actors. But if it's not made by teenagers, it's usually, you know, adult actors. Um, and it's set in the eighties. Another thing that you don't always see—you don't always see period pieces in short films. And so I was already like, "Oh man, like this is more elaborate than your average short." And then watching it, it's also eighteen minutes long. This is probably one of the longer short films that we've had on the show. Um, but it was—I watched it in once. Like I think I—I I, I watched it four minutes. I emailed Liz. <laughs> And then I fi- finished watching it immediately, and it was it was so good. The acting is great. The story is captivating. It, it's also it's not, not something I would normally be a huge fan of because it doesn't immediately have a like a plot that you're like, oh, locked into. Like besides like oh, is she going to get into this Israel program or not? You know, um, that's like the only plot thing that you get in the very beginning. Um, what's it called? It's got a name. Um, it's like that thing that you can do when you're a teenager, like you get oh, to go birthright to for free. Birthright. Yeah, I'm not Jewish, so I don't. I only know a few of my my Jewish ones.
1: All Ulrich Bursell is not Jewish. <laughs> no,
2: but no. Let's talk about like the things about this movie. I mean, great performances. I mean, beautifully shot and it's really well directed. I thought, like, and directed in a way where it felt like this person had been directing for a long time, like with a confidence and like a level of, you know, clarity and perspective that you'd expect from like more of a seasoned filmmaker. And this is her first like real movie. It's like, Debbie, come on, are you kidding me? Um, and then the characters felt so authentic because the dad and the way the dad interacted with the family is like so bizarre. And it's like, this, this has to be real because there's no way, where would you come up with the way that he he was? And it's like that just, it screamed like, like a real, like there's a real person behind this, the writing of this character. And then the ending of the movie and like the thing that happens that is more plot driven was so crazy and also like had the best ending, like the way that you want that terrible situation to resolve, it resolved the way that you really hoped it would. Um, and that that was really amazing um but uh but yeah i don't know i mean i think i didn't really say like a lot of clear things but i just love this movie so what what did you think liz
1: no i 100% agree with everything you just said um debbie and i share a missouri connection which i always like to support (laughs) people from missouri for some reason um yeah it it wasn't quippy you know what i mean like you're saying it's not like other short films like it wasn't this like joke or sketch. It was really substantive. Um, and I love the title and I love, um, I just love the space that it allowed the audience because normally you'd be in faster cuts and you'd be a lot more, I would say economic with every single decision because you would be, I don't know, trying to be Quipier. Quipier is the word I keep thinking. This is not quippy. This is like a thoughtful short film. I really thought it could be a feature. I thought it could have been the, a kernel of what a feature could be and a really good feature. Performances were amazing. I guess what I was thinking of is you could take all of these scenes and you could look at them and you could be like, well, nothing really happens. Is this necessary? And it's like they all combine to like a really wonderful tone character piece where you learn so like something dramatic doesn't happen every single scene but it doesn't matter because it's a piece of art anyway I just think like you were saying in short films very often there's like this feels like a race almost like a race to the joke and that's not what this was this was just a good story well told um I had to walk away (laughs) while watching it uh because Ulrich made me watch this one and rehearsal on the same day by Courtney Theron And they're both like disgusting men. That's like what I've called them, disgusting men shorts. Uh, and I just felt really gross after watching both these short films. But that means they were incredibly effective at um, bringing me into their world and impacting me. So I really want to see the feature hot cake, Debbie. I want you to make it right now and send it in so we could talk about it and support you. Um great job.
2: Yeah, it would be like a um like a female perspective sort of version of um that one gosh, Ben Affleck's in it. Um it's that 90s uh period piece. Um
1: I'm like you know, going everywhere with that. I'm like Jersey Girl, no, that's not the 90s. No, uh where are we girl. going?
2: It's Linklater directed it. Um, I don't remember the name of it right now. Wait, I used to watch are you it saying Daze,
1: not Days and Confused? Yeah.
2: Oh, that's 70s, right?
1: 70s. Yeah, but you're, so yeah. you're saying like to capture kind of like growing up in the 80s. But from like
2: of- a woman's perspective versus yeah. a, a male perspective, like it felt like like it could be like a Days and Confused type movie, you know, where like this, this, this short is like part of the movie, but like not the whole story. It's not like the the culmination of the whole oh, yeah. thing, but this is just like one of the things that this character deals with throughout the movie, you know? Um, yeah. It just felt like that same kind of vibe and honestly, that same kind of level of filmmaking to me, just like that kind of, you know, that sort of coming of age comedy, you know, but but not from the male gaze, you know, uh, for once, because and you don't really see that a lot, you know? So that was, that was good. The other thing I wanted to say was it kind of felt like in like you know these modern day um, TV shows like they'll have like you know 10 episodes but then like one episode will be like the flashback episode that like shows you like what this character went through earlier that informs what they're going through now. I can't remember I can't I, like I don't like, know like this those... is
1: us kind of it goes back to Yeah
2: or um what was the Z- and sorry show like there's a couple episodes of that show that that had ep- like episodes like that where it wouldn't even be like the main cast would be in it. It would be like the younger versions of those characters, you know, um, going through different things. Um, but yeah, I felt like that, like it could have, it could fit into like one of our, you know, a show where it'd be like, oh, this is like what this one character went through when she was in high school. This is why she has this thing that she does now or whatever, you know, this is why she hates, like hates cake or loves cake or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah, but Debbie, fantastic job. Yeah, Everyone should watch this movie. It only has 400 views online. Like, wow. what the hell, dude?
3: <laughs> this movie yeah, deserves, deserves so millions. much more.
1: We're big fans.
2: Yeah. I was watching some other shorts. Um, I think we talked about this last time, but like, yeah, it's like just going through and like, they'll have like 70,000 hits, 80,000 hits, and they're like garbage. <laughs> or, not, or not garbage. That's not fair. Like, they look pretty. And they like look really beautiful, but there's no real story, and there's no real character to dig into. And it's like, why do I care? Everything can be pretty, but not everything can make me care about the characters. Like, like I care about the characters in this short, you know? Like, the, it was oh
1: my God. Why really did her friend leave her? Why did her friend leave her? Drive be crazy.
2: Oh, still upset friend. by that. Oh, her yeah. Friend. Her because her friend is like a you know completely, you know she's a first off they're teenagers so they're not the smartest and then they're just like you know she's in her own little world you know God. um yeah that was a scary that was really scary and that, that's another thing about Debbie as a filmmaker she like really freaked us out yes <laughs> and that's hard to do you know it's not like easy to like just freak out your audience um you know on your first real short film so anyways Debbie sorry we're praising you too much but great no. job deserves it um,
1: um, yeah That's it We did it We did, we did the it. thing Where we talk about stuff Before but an interview now
2: I think we should go to Our real conversation About Red Snow With Gavin and Sean
1: Red Snow well, before we get into it, we got to do our, our stat sheet, Ulrich. Oh, yes, stat the stat sheet.
2: sheet. I did. I did do a stat sheet. Well, we have the questions at least. Um, Liz, you want to you wanna take it?
1: Yeah. So it's kind of this like rapid fire question round where we ask you invasive questions about your production and you decide whether you want to answer them or not. Um, so starting up, how many days did you shoot?
4: Twelve.
2: Ulrich, you. What was the rough budget? And feel free not to say if you don't want to.
0: But say it. Um, I think I mean it's hard to say because we're still in the process of making it. Um, but I'd say ballpark like forty k will probably be fifty k by the time everything is done.
1: Amazing! Wow. How long did you work on it from inception to eventual release? Can you anticipate how long you will have worked on it until the release? Uh, probably
2: two years, all in. And then, uh, how many people were on set? I know the answer to this question, but I'm gonna ask you guys
0: anyways. <laughs> Let's see. Crew is eleven. And then talent kind of fluctuated. Like most of the time, it was two for talent, but I think it all in there, like six or seven talent, but they'd sort of come and go. So yeah. pretty small, all in all. I think
2: our biggest day was maybe 15 people, I think. Yeah.
0: Um, maybe 16, but yeah, right
2: around there. Um, all right, Liz, final question.
1: Final question. Think about it with all your hearts. Out of all your projects, how difficult was this one? and 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 let's also like make Alric feel bad since he worked so hard to protect and take care of the ship um
4: i
0: don't know gavin do you want to <laughs> field that
4: um i mean it, it wasn't the hardest it wasn't the easiest uh there was some challenges that we knew were coming and those challenges were challenging you know night exteriors with the micro budget is tough
0: <laughs> especially in the snow like yeah. nights in the snow yeah that's pretty brutal but all in all i think like the great thing about this movie is and this is probably something we'll say again and again is like the crew was just so great everyone got along really well like there was no like problem person on the set necessarily like everyone kind of knew what they were getting into more or less that we were going to be kind of isolated out in the snow and you know on a pretty tight budget really like at 12 days to shoot a feature is kind of insane and but we we did it and um yeah, I think I'd agree with Gavin. Like it's not the, the it's not even the hardest feature that I've worked on, but it was also, you know, it had a lot of challenges too, just because of the schedule and the budget and the conditions.
1: I mean, I was gonna say no problem, people other than Ulrich, and then I was looking on the spot <laughs> right. to ask uh, what it was like working with him.
0: Ulrich was a dream. Ulrich, <laughs> Ulrich kept oh, the, the wheels on the bus for yeah, sure. Yeah, he's a little guardian
4: angel. It was oh. <laughs>
2: I was going to ask, like, should I answer that question since I was uh, on the film too?
0: Yes, please. <laughs>
2: um, yeah, it definitely wasn't the most difficult <laughs> by, by any stretch of the imagination. I wouldn't say it was easy either, but um, I think things just went really well and we all worked really hard and, uh, you know, I saw a smiling director like 95% of the time. So <laughs> to me, like that is like job well done, you know, Um and we got all our like we got everything that you really wanted like we only cut like just like a small amount but like there are the kind of things that you didn't really th- feel like you needed at the end right
0: yeah i mean like it would be like the thing that comes to mind is, like, we had this idea that we needed the main character, like, shopping for this sweater that appears oh, later in the movie, and right, which would have right. been, like, a company move. We probably would have had to steal that shot. And we are overall really good about actually getting permitted for all our stuff, which is amazing at this budget level. Yeah. Uh, I credit you with that, Ulrich. <laughs> <I'll reckon>, oh, <laughs> keeping thanks, us yeah. honest. Uh, <laughs> but at the end of the day, it's like, well, we get that she went out and bought a sweater because we see it later. Like, like, those kind of things that are, like, very inessential got cut but otherwise yeah we got everything that was needed except for this pickup day that was always planned as being part of the deal
2: right which we need to like i i guess you know i when we left the movie i was planning on working with it with you on this like by now and like setting up dates and everything but then all this this stuff happened and then we just haven't even talked about it um but uh, we should have this conversation later and see, like, when
0: do you want to try to do this thing? June? Yeah, I mean, May? at this point, it's, who knows? <laughs> like, June, July, like... Yeah.
1: I want you to say June, because I have a shoot in June. And so I want us all to will this into being, that we can shoot in June. Can we all, all right. think that way on June. this recording?
2: Yeah, we'll be shooting <laughs> in June. For this recording. Yeah. <laughs> and in in general, I want that to be the truth. That, I mean, if, if we can't make it do a shoot of any kind by June, this will be like way worse than I thought it was. <laughs> well, mean. so
1: just to clarify roles. So Sean, you directed and Gavin, you were the DP, right? Mm-hmm. Um, can we talk a little bit about working with Snow, maybe from both perspectives? I mean, as the DP, Gavin, um, did you have to take extra precautions for your equipment, for your team? Or what? What is, I've never worked in the Snow in a film.
4: Um, so this was my second time working in Tahoe. So I had done it um, a bit, but I had not done, uh, nights in the snow yet. Um, so I did take a lot of precautions. Um, my AC Lance, uh, kind of kept me from feeling most of them. I just kind of passed them all on to him. But the big things to think about is in the cold batteries go really fast. So we had an excess of batteries. We also kept them in a little warming pouch with like little hand warmers to try and keep them from getting too cold. And then there's also a thing that I know I panicked Ulrich and Sean with about lenses um, adjusting the temperatures, going from outdoor in the cold to indoors where it's warmer. Um, If you don't give them the time to acclimate, they can fog up and it can be a real problem. Uh, But again, like our crew moved in such a way that we never felt it. I don't think. I don't know. Maybe Ulrich and Sean did. But
2: Uh, I mean, that never was an issue, right? The fogging never became a problem. If I remember correctly.
4: Yeah. No, like I said, Lance was on it and we always used that time to be setting up the next scene. So we were always trying to stay a step ahead.
2: Yeah. What I'm curious is like, Sean, you, you know, like making a movie called red snow, uh, and working on it for so long beforehand. Cause you, you basically prep for like a year, like on and off. um, like what was your approach to the snow and how did you set us up for success with this whole thing
0: i mean it's there isn't really like a scientific way to predict how much snow you're going to get i was really just like you know basically you know this is basically i don't know if this has come up but we shot this at like a family cabin that we've had in our family for a long long time so i'd been going there in the winters like since i was a little kid and i generally knew The rule of thumb is like January there's almost like too much snow like you need to put on chains to get out there and there would have just been huge logistical challenges and then February is kind of you know like easing down a little bit so I sort of felt like February-March we'd have like just the right amount of snow without you know being unsafe and as it turned out like we didn't have quite enough snow but luckily (laughs) like it just kind of worked out in such a way that We got there. There wasn't enough. We pushed all our exteriors to later and just, like, kept an eye on the 10-day forecast. And then, luckily, it just dumped on a day full of, like, daytime exteriors where we couldn't fake it. Because we faked it in a lot of places where we were able to, like, shovel it into frame and things like that. Or just, there's a lot of low angles in the movie, which which we get away with because it's a horror movie. But a lot of it is, like, hiding. There is just not enough snow on the ground in certain shots. Um... But beyond that, I think my main concern going in was just making sure it was safe, like making sure, you know, um, Sarah, our costume designer and Melanie, our makeup person, like we're always like kind of nearby with coats to like throw on, especially talent, because they're kind of the, you know, like crew can wear as many layers as they want, but talent are, are limited in that regard. And just like. Auric did a great job of just, like, rushing out, like, hot soup and hot drinks to people and just having that sort of thing on standby, like, having hand warmers, having, like, the Ranahan rentals were huge, you know, having the propane heater and the pop-up and that sort of thing, especially on those exteriors, like, those overnights, Um, so, yeah, I mean, like, I don't know, like, once you are out... In the snow, like a lot can go wrong, and I'm just really glad that nothing seriously did go wrong. And I think a lot of that is just the preparations we well, took. Well, here,
2: let's set up a little context for people, just because, like, so what happened? So we got there, there was no snow. We pushed all our exteriors, and then the way that we had one of our our, our uh, weeks set up was like we had to shoot these days in order. And this movie has a like exterior fight scene in the snow um an exterior night fight scene or action sequence in the snow and um i think one other two of actually two of them in the snow at night i believe uh and so with like special effects and and all this stuff and so basically uh the way that it worked like we had these these days for like the bigger exterior shots and we couldn't move them and then, you know, it went from there being no snow to like us getting snow like right like on our fight day. And we were like, oh, what are we going to do with our daytime exterior uh, day in the snow when it's snowing? And I was like, well, we just have to just do it. And that's when like I decided to make a big pot of soup and just like we all had, we had tons of hand warmers. We had jackets, we had everything, but we just like we're, were doing everything that we could to make sure people were warm. But uh, Sean and Gavin, you guys want to talk about that day and like what that day ended up looking like? Uh,
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, on my side, I mean, my perspective was like that snow couldn't have come at a better time. Like, basically, we had these out of town actors, Laura and Alan. Alan came on the We were shooting in four day weeks, three, four day weeks. And our second of those weeks were what was with these two actors. And we only had them for four days. And Alan came on that first day. It was just him. And it was a scene between Alan and our lead, Denise, outside, like he said, all day. And so, like, that was the only day we could shoot that stuff. Because once Laura showed up, we needed to get all her stuff. uh, Because they're sort of like a pair in the movie. And so, it just had to be that day. Like, there was no no moving things around. So, like, yes, we probably got more snow than we would have liked. But I think you know, at that point, it, it sort of came at the perfect time also just because we were working so much quicker at that point. We were like a more of a cohesive team. I, I don't know. What do you think, Evan?
4: Um, yeah, I mean, we we spent, because we couldn't actually shoot in the snow, we had a lot of time to kind of map those out too. Like I know in the scout, we planned that all out and then on the day, like Ulrich <laughs> made these maps of like no-go zones where it's just like don't don't walk <laughs> through these areas cuz you'll leave footprints and we need we need powder here um, and so we had already planned out exactly like what the routes we were going to take what our backups were when there wasn't enough snow in certain locations or um and it, it just like kind of definitely honed in it kind of made it feel like you know people talk about shooting on uh, film that like everyone has to take like take the time to respect the process specifically because you don't get that many takes at it and that was kind of the way that I felt like we had to treat the snow.
1: Yeah, can you talk a, I know we don't have makeup on this call, but could you talk a little bit about I mean, it's called Red Snow. So I assume there's blood, there's gore. Um, can you talk about the way you guys executed that on a low budget in the cold with all these other restrictions?
0: I mean, a lot of it was just we had Melanie, Leandro who is awesome and like really great at her job and um You know and I think that a lot of it came down to the prep like like you know Gavin and I had already shot listed the entire movie and so we kind of knew what angles and I'd sort of edited in my head a little bit so when I approached Melanie about doing it I was kind of like, yeah we you know you have a very small budget to do this, but like let's let's talk ideas let's talk about how each thing is gonna be framed like and there's some crazy gore effects in this movie like beyond anything <laughs> that I've ever done, even on like a much bigger budget movie I mean there's tubing with like blood spray because it's a vampire movie like you need tons of blood. Um, the vampire effects themselves like we had a funny thing happen where, you know, Melanie asked me what I wanted these eyes to look like because when they're in like vampire mode, it's basically contact lenses, the teeth and, um, and, and makeup. Uh, there isn't really any prosthetics beyond that, but the, for the contact lenses, I always pictured them as being sort of like milky white, kind of like opaque eyes without even a pupil really. And we had those and on the first day that Nico, our, our lead vampire was wearing them, he was just completely blind and this is on the second day of shooting (laughs) and so Nico's first day was just he we had to like lead him around and it was like such a it was like that was kind of the biggest one of the bigger scares we had because his first day didn't really call for any action necessarily but we had to quickly order contact lenses that our vampire actors could like see out of um And then so but luckily that they luckily Melanie was able to get those really quickly. And we were able to kind of, you know, rewrite this idea that, oh, the vampire eyes are totally opaque when they're like wounded, which ended up being the case. Like when we first see Nico's character, he's like depleted of blood and wounded. So it tracks like it was like a 13th hour script adjustment, but it explains why there's like a discrepancy in the eyeballs without really like saying that. Um, yeah that
2: that was totally smart uh to, for you to do it that way and just rewrite it and it was really lucky that it worked timing wise
0: <laughs> a lot <laughs> that... of creepily like just lucky breaks on this movie um, and then I I guess, I don't know, Ulrich, should we talk about the head or is that like a big spoiler for this movie? I don't
2: know. It's up to you. I mean, it, it, I mean, the, the fact that the movie has a head rip, I don't think is a spoiler,
0: um, but, but it was but really But your fun. involvement in it, well, let's just talk about it. I think if you're sure. listening to this podcast, you <laughs> want to know the, the nuts and bolts of how this movie got right, made. Right, right. <laughs> um, so there is, I think the most complicated effect, and Melanie would agree, is um, there's a decapitation scene. Where a uh, a person played by Ulrich gets his head ripped <laughs> off by a vampire and then yes. drinks out of the severed head. And so before we, uh, we shot a frame of this movie, Melanie got together with Ulrich and did a life cast of his head. Uh, I haven't really talked to you what that process is like Ulrich, what was that like?
2: Yeah, so I had done this a bunch for my own movies, but um, i never did I ever have to do it. I, I went one time where I like hung out with an actor while it happened. And another couple times I sent actors to have it done, but I never had it done to myself before and yeah it's kind of a lot it's a it's a big ask it's a bit much bigger ask than i thought it was after asking people to do it for my own movies <laughs> so basically uh you have to like you know be sitting with your shirt off and then they pour uh a certain liquid over your your head uh and then that like well but for, but first they like wrap like uh, they basically mummify you right I guess is the best way to put it so they, they put this plaster down to mummy you and then they put the goo over and then you have to sit for like 10 minutes 20 minutes with the goo on your head um, and so it can like take a form and you have to make the same face that you're gonna make that they want that you want when you're dead and you have to hold that face and uh, we had to do it outside because they, she didn't have room to do it inside in her apartment and it was really cold that day so I was like out in the cold um you know with this thing happening and uh yeah it was like two or no it was more like three or four hours that we spent doing this and uh yeah it it was uh it was tough all right how was it
1: you like how are you chosen for this exciting opportunity
2: well sean do you want to answer that question
0: i my my perception of that was that you volunteered (laughs) but uh but we knew that I knew that I wanted crew. I mean, my original idea is like all three of these victims in this scene would be played by crew. At the end of the day, it ended up just being Ulrich being the only crew member. And we got... uh... To locals to play the other <laughs> roles which i think was for the best like well, i remember at one time our ryan our gaffer was up to play one of them and like gavin was like no that's not gonna happen which is which is smart in hindsight absolutely yeah, not <laughs>
2: well so my memory of this whole thing was that you came to me and you were like i i want crew to play these guys and then i'm gonna play one of them and then i'm gonna get my head ripped off because uh, I, I'm fine donating the time to, to do the thing. And I was like, you can't be the person to have your head ripped off. Like that's too big of a thing. Like, you have to be like on monitor and directing that scene. Like you can be one of the other ones, but you can't be the head rip person. And so then I just volunteered because I was like, you need somebody Like we need to do it like now or, or soon. So I just volunteered to do it. And uh, Sean was open to that idea.
0: <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm glad he talked me out of that because that was far and away our hardest day, at least for me um because that was an overnight that was a 4 p.m to 4 a.m thing with gore effects with the most talent we had out of uh, in one day like it was it was a ton of like logistical challenges so yeah it was crazy
1: (laughs) we talked to um ken frank and chris malika a few weeks ago and they described the way of filmmaking is kind of like a family right like they do these micro budget shoots with they're like brother-in-laws, they're best friends. And, you know, uh, it, it's remind me a little bit about what you guys are doing. I mean, you guys are working on an extreme lower budget and then you went to a one location that you already had access to and then you made a horror film. So I guess I wanna know what your philosophy is of filmmaking, is that too, is that too large a question after talking about getting your, your head <laughs> examined for um, practical effects?
0: uh i don't
2: know what, what do you think Ulrich? Oh, gavin do you want to answer this question
4: <laughs> um i mean i can hop in it's i i don't know if it's like a grander philosophy it's just that it's a bunch of people like-mindedly enjoying like a script or story um and the micro budget just kind of weeds out people who might be less interested i think uh because everyone who's on this project you know really had to like the story or at least the people involved i think story but um you know it's just a bunch of we all had to live with each other in like we i think had two cabins total maybe three
2: yeah two two officially a third was just someone decided to get their own space basically
4: yeah and you know everyone had to be there because they liked being around each other enough to last for you know like the 14 days um with the days off and cared enough to tell this story that was going to involve people being out overnight. So like a lot of us were already basically family or really good friends. And I think everyone, you know, got along enough to like stay that unit during, but the reason we were all out there was to tell a fun story.
2: Yeah. I think uh, Sean and I talked about this a while before we went and made the movie. It was just like, this is the type of movie that we're making. This is what we need to do like Sean always wanted to have crew on that were like understanding of the the situation and willing to make a movie in this way and down to do it. And so everyone that I suggested to to be on the crew, Sean would always be like, do they know what the situation is? Are they cool? Are they into this kind of filmmaking? And like the answer was always yes, all around. And, uh, we just got really lucky that we got great crew who were just down for the cause. And, uh, You know, a few people were already friends and had worked together before, um, which I think helped a lot. I mean, Sean and Gavin have known each other since college, you know, which I think really helps. Um, So I think it was just like getting the right group of people together um, and just, you know, bringing a little mini family together to make a movie for, uh, you know, a couple weeks. It was it was great. I don't know. I think it is. It is kind of a it's not like a philosophy on like a grander sense. I don't think I think it's more like a philosophy around a project. And Sean, I think you, I don't know, I'm I'm sure you're aware of this. Like you, you kind of had like this idea of like how you wanted the movie to go. And that was sort of what you passed on to us. And I think we just passed that on to everyone else. And is that fair to say?
0: Oh, absolutely. Like, I think the thing that I really wanted people to know up front, like, I think the the term I used with you is like, are they a culture fit? Like, you know, because I, I, I'm sure we could get amazing crew, but. You know, most shoots are like, you know, you work 8 to 12 hours, then you go home. And this is not that. You don't, you stay on set. Like, like one of the cabins that people were staying in was a hot set. And, you know, and also like everyone's working for much less pay than they deserve because, you know, it's a 50k budget and... So, really, it comes down to, like, are you willing to go to camp? Do you, like, love doing this? Uh, Are you willing to kind of put your life on pause? And that's a huge ask. And um, I just wanted, you know, to be respectful of people and, like, just let them know this is what you're getting yourself into. But if you're into this sort of thing, I think you'll have a lot of fun. And I certainly had a lot of fun, speaking just for myself. And I think other people did, too. Like,
2: I think everyone had fun. It was a pretty fun, happy set, I would have to say, overall. Right, Gavin?
4: <laughs> yeah. No, and I mean, I, I just <laughs> wanted to pop it and say, I, I similarly, uh, anyone who I asked to come on, which, you know, was like uh, Emily and Ryan, our genie team, and Lance, I asked like three times with just like a, are you you sure, right? Like, because I am <laughs> asking a favor. I would love you to be there um, if you're down. And like I, I think Ryan even had to be like, dude, stop trying to talk me out of this. I'm there. Like, this sounds great. Let's do it.
2: <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. Um, yeah. Uh, gosh, I had another question, but I think the thing I really Oh, Liz, you got something?
1: Well, I just was one my follow up is it is was it a bunch of diehard horror fans or was it just friends and family who wanted to support Sean and Gavin and Ulrich?
2: Um, Like, well, I don't know. I mean, I think there were definitely some horror fans, but it was it was mostly just like crew that we one of us had a connection to and them being down to come out and make the movie i think is the best way to say it you know um and there were some definite horror fans and horror nerds but i think it was mostly people who just really like making features and really were into coming out and doing this movie i don't know is that that's probably fair right sean oh
0: yeah and we got so lucky with every single one of those hires because i mean like just off the top of my head you know steven Lagosh, our sound guy, like he was in a really tricky spot because we didn't have the budget for a sound mixer and a boom op. It was just a one man band. And that's a huge ask already. And then on top of that, it's like uh you're you're not gonna see your wife for like two to three weeks. You're gonna drop everything. Um, you know, and I mean everyone was in a similar situation, but I think of Steve in particular as just like like that's such a huge ask of a person and for him to come in and have like a great attitude and uh you know and that that was true across the board um you know just like we really lucked out with these people
2: he was also our last hire like we had everyone but the sound person and then we was like trying to get the sound person in like a month away from our shoot date and then you know, luckily he agreed and, and like I had worked with Steve a couple times and he was on two days of the alternate um, once as a boom and once as a sound mixer. So I knew that he could he had the chops for sure. And then um, he's also friends with Ryan, our gaffer. And so it was kind of like lucky. And I don't know. I hope they don't mind me saying this, but like basically when Steve heard that Ryan was on, he's like, I'm in because like they had already worked on a feature before and shared a room together in a feature so like they had already gone through a kind of experience and he was like oh i know that i'll get along with at least one person it's like okay let's do this <laughs> let's go to quote steve that's what his favorite thing to say. that was
4: also <laughs> really fun in terms of the family unit thing as well uh our, our days off were blasts because it was all of us up in tahoe uh blissfully already separated from the general populace that might be getting sick and uh (laughs) but going going on like going sledding and like having snowball fights and uh nerf guns kind of took over our days off too and uh lots of puzzles and video games and you know we didn't actually there was no tvs in the cabin but we just turned the monitors into little setups and had like mario kart tournaments and stuff it was great
2: yeah uh, Steve, Ryan and Lance would play these long board games, like at least in the beginning, like they, they played this game scythe for like four hours, I think after shoot one day. And like, Sean, you got wrapped in with them a little bit. And then like, you're like, I have to go and prep.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, because we would have our meetings right after our shoots each day. And it's like, I would, I remember spending like two hours with them on, or maybe like, I don't know, maybe like an hour and a half just like learning the rules of scythe and it's like my time to like do recreational activities is now over (laughs) i (laughs) I have to get back to work and so by the time i got down like they'd figured it out and were then masters of the game and it's like oh man i'm i missed out but you know like i i think my big thing was just, like, making sure that morale never, you know, because I, mean, I think that that's, a, that's an important thing on any film set. But especially when you're kind of, like, going to camp is just making sure, like, people are happy, you know, especially given how few days off there were. And I think that everyone, like, found ways to entertain themselves, which is all I was really asking for. Yeah.
2: So I, I want to go back to the snow really quick because uh, we, we, we touched a little bit about the snow day where it snowed. Um, during one of our action sequences, but we didn't really talk about what the day was actually like. And I mean, I know for Sean and Gavin, you guys got a lot done and you were really focused. Um, But like the beginning of the day was kind of intense uh, logistically. Um, And so (laughs) I don't know, Gavin, and you you ran out like, so first we started at 5.30 a.m. Um and like as soon as the sun was uh, like it was bright enough, Gavin ran out and grabbed a wide exterior shot of the cabin with like snow everywhere, basically. And in order to do that, had, had I moved the cars yet, Gavin, or did you just frame out the cars? I can't remember.
4: I think we did both. I I I know that on top of me trying to just grab exteriors where we could, we had a full day, so it was kind of just grab what we can while, um we're setting up the other things and that's like on this type of shoot on most shoots in general like i try and leapfrog as much as i can it's harder with such a small G team on this one but um they both killed it and so it would be like we only had two people we had two keys basically that really were kind of mixing apartments because they had to but it was like i'd have someone on set with me someone be setting up the next area and just as much as we could do to get ahead which included sometimes me just going off and shooting um like little tiny pieces. Like I know um, our, uh, what do you call it, title sequence that Sean had planned was just like little snippets of oh, yeah. parts of the house that i just grab randomly throughout. Like Sean would point one out or I would just grab them and I'm sure he's discovering them in post. I hope there's enough. <laughs> and uh, <Nice. laughs> yeah, just, you know, cause we had, we had so much to cover in 12 days that it was just anything we can do to get ahead.
2: Yeah, so so that morning, like I just to talk about it. I mean, I don't know why I care so much, but it's because like, okay, so uh, Gavin. After Gavin got that exterior, Gavin and Sean are inside. And they're like focusing on getting these couple ex- interior shots done. Before, sorry, we sorry to outside. interrupt. Uh, All right, one ahead, thing we ahead. should
0: point out before you get sure. into this. When it's snowing in Tahoe, you cannot park on the street. Right. Like you you have to be in yes. a driveway. You have to be because the, the snow plow <laughs> comes through like periodically. And so that was a huge logistical challenge. Like parking. Right. Uh, I mean, it ended up being, I guess, less of an issue when the snow wasn't as heavy. But that day it was like a, a huge problem. Right. Yeah, that, that's a good point, Sean. Like, the, the, part of the reason why this
2: was so hard was because we couldn't park any cars on the street and we had to park all cars in driveways. And on the, the days that it didn't snow, we could park cars on the lawn of Sean's house or the, Sean's family's cabin. But, like, you know, we, we also got the neighbors to allow us to use their driveway to park cars. So we kind of were covered. But then when it, you had to get a shot of, this, of the cabin with uh, n- no cars in it and, like, just set for picture or whatever, we had to put the cars somewhere. And so basically at 530 a.m., after it snowed probably around six inches or something, we had to move all these cars to a parking lot down the street. Oh, my and gosh. And so that was, like, insane. And we had already moved like one big van the night before, like, and that was really great. But we had three cars we had to move. Like we had to move a truck, my Prius, and then one other car um, in order to have the grip truck have room to move out of the driveway so that like they could get a shot of the front of the house. And so like moving these cars at like 6 a.m. in the morning uh, through the snow before the plow came. Uh, was crazy like me and Steve and I think Olivia our production coordinator it was the three of us doing this thing together and it was like an adventure we saw a bear we were like sliding and going all over the road Uh, my Prius like wouldn't move for the longest time and then we finally like Steve had to push it while I was uh, reversing in order to get it out of the of the driveway Um, It was kind of madness and all while Gavin and Sean are inside, like getting the shot ready. And I think you guys got some shots off while we were doing that, which I was really grateful for. Um, But it was it was nuts. And then once we got that out of the way, then we had some more stuff to do outside in front of the house. But then we like the timing for us worked out perfectly because we got some shots of uh, the car driving in the snow. Um, before the plow came and the car that we had chosen for the picture car happened to have snow tires and all wheel drive so it was so lucky because that was the one car that could drive on the snow without the plow having come through so it was just a lot of luck <laughs> I think in that
0: case yeah um, Marcella's a uh mercedes was ended up being like it's funny because at first i was like does this make sense for the character like for him to have this really nice car but it ended up being like the only car that could have possibly uh possibly done that segment of the movie
2: right and like you know we got the shot of the of the car driving off in this direction with like this beautiful kind of like untouched snow with just like a few car uh, tracks in it And it was so perfect. And then as soon as we move into our close-ups, the plow comes. And the plow took all the snow out and made it easier for, for us to get around. But it didn't affect our shot anyway. So we got these beautiful, like, wide shots of, like, all this winter wonderland. And then we move into our close parts where it didn't really matter that the continuity had changed. It was just, like, all this crazy timing stuff that just worked out really well that day. And then, you know, we got into our actual blood effects and action sequence and shooting a crossbow and all this crazy stuff we had to do in the snow. And, um, yeah, I don't know, somehow that day worked and it was kind of amazing and magical that it happened. And it was, it was a challenge.
4: (laughs) It it definitely felt miraculous, especially when, uh, I mean, I know everyone else wasn't panicking as much as I was in that moment, but like the, uh, the snowplow did like, what felt like 20 loops and just kept (laughs) coming back. And, you know, we couldn't do any sound with that going on. Um, you know, uh man, it was it was definitely an adventure. And just like even after it came, um, you know, we had thankfully like a small amount of spills and no one walking with anything ever fell.
2: But oh, so, yeah. like
4: it left <laughs> a pretty slick um street underneath that we really had to move very carefully on. Not that we didn't in the high snow too, I know there was uh, definitely some just like you step in the wrong place and you're gonna fall through quite a bit.
2: Yeah, I fell and uh, s- split my clipboard in two pieces. Um, and luckily, uh, the production manager Marcella, uh, she had another one, and then I stole hers for the rest of the shoot. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, it was crazy.
0: I think also just key to making that day and just throughout like making these crazy days where you know, we would shoot like 10 pages in a day or, or things like that. I mean, on, on that day right. we're talking about right now, it was fewer pages, but it was just as many shots because it's a huge action scene outdoors in the snow. And I think key to that was Gavin and I, you know, going through not, I mean, originally on the location scout, but then continuing like, you know, over FaceTime or whatever, just like shot listing every little piece so we knew every little thing that we needed and like actually more or less sticking to that i mean we would improvise and decide to cut things here and there but i think like of all the movies i've worked on uh i and i credit gavin with this in a major way is like i we just i felt very prepared going in and kind of having it pre-edited and like i think that that was so huge for something like this especially on this day where it's just like it's all just like getting these little tiny pieces of coverage that you need for it to make sense in the edit like just you know close-up of the of the crossbow firing and then you whip pan off frame and then getting the other side of that whip pan with the gore gag in place like knowing how we're gonna do all these gags in advance is like uh you know it might it might seem like you know uh like Filmmaking 101, but I, I did not feel that prepared on my first feature. I felt like I was flying by the seat of my pants on my first feature. And um, I, I think that, that, that having that level of preparation, this movie just wouldn't work without it. Well, yeah. that, that's
4: also something that like not only did we do it on the day, or like every night before, too, and Aura kept us to it, was every day the night before the shoot, after we wrapped that day, um you know everyone was off the clock but it would be you, you, Ulrich and I um and then occasionally uh Melanie too when there was more effects heavy would meet up in the in the production office and go over the next day and that involved like I think Alec and I uh blocking like as humans for you to move around and just as much communication as we could get because we spent <laughs> so little time on set.
2: Yeah, those meetings were really important. It was like, you know, like to, just to Sean's uh, point about the prep, the prep was amazingly important in in this project. And the only way that we were able to get it done the way that we did, because, um, you know, walking into it, Sean had, like he said, the whole movie shot listed, but also like a rough schedule for each day already in place. So like there was already a rough schedule before I even stepped into it. And so then I was just able to move pieces around and like do rescheduling with Sean and like figure out the best order to do everything in. So it was like a big part of it was already handled. And then it was just like kind of moving the pieces of of, uh, the puzzle around, you know? And then um, when we did those meetings, it was like, okay, we already know what we're going to be shooting that day. But like, OK, let's make sure that we give the right amount of time. And I usually would already have like a rough idea of time uh, for the whole thing, because I was able since I had the shot list and since I had the schedule, I was able to do or this rough like strip board. I was able to kind of pre-schedule each day in advance. So like we were so prepared because we were able to do that prep and just have a good idea of what we wanted to do every day. And that's how we were able to like average like something like 30 to 40 shots a day. And sometimes going over forty, like damn near fifty, I think, a couple of times. <laughs> like it it was crazy.
0: Yeah, we looked at thirty shots in a day as like a light day. <laughs>
2: yeah seriously like 30 yeah it was it was really more like somewhere between 40 40 plus on uh on the bigger days it was it was a lot
1: i realize I you know this theme of this episode is is like how do you work in the snow and and all of the cool variables that you all had to deal with um and i never followed up with Gavin on the impact of snow on the ground bouncing on actors faces can you talk a little bit about that Gavin?
4: uh sure um honestly when it comes to snow like and, and the look of this movie specifically too was more or less naturalistic. So, you know, just kind of this heightened kind of naturalism. We looked at a lot of movies um, in the 90s as like examples, but with the idea that we would tone the 90s aesthetic way down. Um, so, you know, shooting in the snow was more, uh, we were letting things play in safe. you would add negative at times or add positive at times, uh, depending on how much snow there was supposed to be on the ground and there wasn't. Um, but like I, I tend to um, you know just protect the highlights a little bit more with snow, but not worry about it too much in terms of like you know, especially if you're going to have wides, you can't do that much uh, on a lower budget and lift like a smaller amount of time to really change that. so it's more painting with broad strokes and allowing you know snow's going to look like snow, and that's okay. Um, and at night, you know, that's just a little bit more of ambient. Your lights will carry a little farther, and it, it's still it. So, I remember the first time I sh- shot in snow, I was pretty worried about it because of the levels, just a bunch of white everywhere. But there's a lot more radiation than you think, and when you're there on the day, it's that's not as much of a challenge as you might think it
1: would be, mm. in my opinion. It's really interesting, yeah. And also, you were talking about um filling uh filling in where the audience expects there to be balance like i forgot that you didn't have an abundance of snow on the ground every single day of the shoot so it's like making it consistent and making it continuous um even when you did have brown on the ground instead or green on the ground instead of white um and that's really interesting and then um sean just one final question for you I know we haven't talked a lot about distribution and and your expectations, but was making this film on such a low overhead and making it horror comedy part of the design for a A good return I mean this is not your first feature you you've you've gone to the rodeo before or was it just the script that called to you
0: I mean really at the end of the day um, yeah like horror is a super commercial genre especially at this budget level but my main thing is like I am just horror is my favorite genre and it always really has been and I almost look at my first feature prep school which was a drama as almost being sort of a weird detour like for some reason I really really out of film school wanted to make that movie and then once i got it out of my system i was kind of like wait why did i do that over a horror movie since it's so much harder <laughs> like you said in terms of distribution but yeah you know um i have learned a lot and you know there's there i think you know i can't help but think about distribution on the other side of this um especially since i myself have so much exposure in the budget um but you know there's certain things that you think about like i think it is i, I could easily see this playing at, at a genre festival, like a Scream Fest or Beyond Fest or Fantastic Fest. That's kind of the plan, depending on how our post-timeline goes. That's kind of what I'm aiming for. And also, we haven't talked about it at all, but we have one name actor in the movie who's called sort of a cult actor, Vernon Wells, who is in, like, The Road Warrior and um, uh, Commando. Like, having any kind of name in your genre movie just makes it that much more valuable because you're able to say... Because the first thing that people ask is like, oh, who's in it? And a name like Vernon Wells, who is in these like huge cult classic movies, like that only helps you more. So, yeah, I mean, I I think that to answer your question, it's basically like I made this because I just really wanted to make a horror movie. And And I think just applying the lessons that I learned from my first film, keeping it small, having a name actor in it, like working with people that you want to work with and that want to be there and just having some idea of the kinds of places that you're going to take it to and like what the audience is. I think that that's pretty big.
2: Yeah. And uh, the thing that I really enjoyed about this uh, script in the beginning and, and just the movie that we ended up shooting is that you really delivered on all those things that you expect from a horror vampire comedy Christmas movie. And giving the audience those things that you would want from seeing a movie with those sort of buzzwords or that synopsis, I think was really smart. And I'm really excited that we were able to do that, especially with all the blood gags and just, just the way that you, uh, you know, orchestrated the whole thing. I thought it was really well done.
0: Um, Thank you. (laughs)
2: Yes. Well, that's why I wanted to make the movie. It's like, it's, I think it is like we were talking about earlier, like why did people come out and do this? It's like, well, it's because of the story and like, That was why I said yes to you like over, like almost a year ago was because it's like, yeah, the script is so awesome. Like, of course uh, I have to help make this movie because it just was like, you know, I wanted to see it. I wanted to go to the theater and watch this movie or watch it on VOD or wherever I'm going to be able to watch it. You know, Um, I wanted to talk about one more thing, but I kind of feel like we're running out of time. Um, uh, Yeah, I'm going to ask it anyway. So, (laughs) So that that night exterior snow blood thing, I mean, walking into it, I was like, "Oh, we'll have some lights up, and we'll at least have enough uh, light so we can like shoot the scenes, and that's it." But then when we got out there, uh, the lighting scheme that Gavin, that you and Ryan and Emily put together, was like was like pretty damn elaborate. Like, can you talk about that a little bit? Like how you were able to do that, and like where that idea came from to do it that way
4: um well part of it was out of necessity (laughs) uh we were we were trying to like you know a big part of night exteriors and the way they work um is a big big light from far away covering enough light to give you covering enough area to give you exposure and not play as super direct like when you're outside that's kind of what you're viewing is either moonlight or just like kind of ambient light bouncing off clouds and so that was kind of what we were trying to go for and then just kind of adding exposure through side light to just give us a look, and the the only way you can create dark on screen is with light, which is kind of paradoxical. But you know, having something to read as you know a level, then to be able to show a darker area. So it was mostly around just trying to give us room to work in because we only had again a crew of two trying to do a night exterior which is pretty nuts um but they both killed it and worked really hard to give us an area to shoot in and then it was about trying to make that area work for as many directions as we could so like taking the backlight that might be stronger than your fill and then just switching uh scrims in both of them to do a quick reset to give us a different way to look and have it still feel like the same area for the same night i guess is
2: but, but you had like four lights, like 20 feet in the air or something, right? Was, or is was it three? Like, wh- what was that? That was insane. I mean, again,
4: like uh, I had while we were shooting our daytime stuff, I had Emily uh, setting up our nighttime stuff, you know, which was another thing, too. It's like on that exterior, as much as you can have your give your crew time to work in the daylight like, to these setups. But when it's night, they're not running in the snow, tripping on things with like trying to set up lights and stuff. Um, but yeah, it was, it was built around the general idea of just trying to be prepared to change if we needed to, uh, be set to pan things in different ways to give us different backgrounds and really simple, like, you know, kind of three-point lighting and like everything kind of breaks down to that, but you've got your backlight, you've got your fill, you've got your key or lack thereof and, you know, it's just, or yeah, like lack of fill, um, it was just about being prepared i'm not entirely sure like how we could have done it a, another way i guess it's just we lit our area so we could turn the camera around and look and look and have a different set so it was just about trying to give us options later in the day and knowing which parts of the you know where we were wasn't looking towards houses so we can make a look at the middle of nowhere and right just trying to make it make this like one little area that we could shoot in as diverse and like moody as possible.
0: Let me just say like it totally worked because I'm in post on it now and just like watching that footage like those night exteriors like it's such a budget defying it just looks amazing and also just adding into that just the complication of we had this like pretty limited patch of snow (laughs) in the (laughs) woods that we were filming on so we were just kind of like keep you know having to like pivot the angle and make it seem like it's a much different stretch of woods when and in, in, in the film, it feels like a huge area, but in reality, like it's a, it's a pretty small area that we were shooting in and yeah, like Gavin Ryan and Emily just did an amazing job uh, with all of that. Yeah. And then Sean,
2: I wanted to ask you like, so, you know, imagine, so we got this lighting set up, you know, we're shooting basically all night to like whatever it was 4am in the cold. It's probably like 20 degrees, whatever it is um and you have three kills to do (laughs) in this time like what was your thought process going into shooting that and like how did you like when we were doing it and we were running out of time like what was your thought process and how were you able to like get everything that you needed in that amount of time i mean i don't know
0: how much i really had to do with it at that point like uh i mean i was you know i was pretty fried i'll admit like when it got to be like 2 3 4 a.m and, the, like, the only thing that was really driving me was kind of just this, like, animalistic, like, we need to make this day. <laughs> because if we don't, like, honestly, like, one of our talent was, like, on the shuttle to go to the airport immediately after we wrapped. And... You know, and I think I think the thing about doing a 12-day feature with really complicated effects is you need to be able to adapt. And, you know, I had all these precious shots that I wanted to get of, like, this whole tableau of this whole, like, murder scene where things are happening in the background. And it's like, nope, we're cutting that. Like, just like, you know, you have to just start cutting shots and just thinking about, like, what are the key pieces that I need to make this work? And... You know, when someone watches it, they're not going to think about all these precious things that you weren't able to get. They're going to be reacting to like, oh, this looks great. You know, they're going to see, you know, as long as it's like coherent and you have the pieces you need. And, you know, like thanks to to Gavin and the G&E team, like it looks great. Like, honestly, it was pretty scary that last hour because most (laughs) of the hardest things had not been shot yet. But like, thankfully... Again, just, like, we got pretty lucky with some of these these effects working, um, you know, and... I think it was, I mean, it's really, like, the collaborative thing where, you know, I we had talent, like, giving suggestions for how to, like, there was this one, we couldn't get Ulrich's severed head to bleed enough. And it was finally, like, Nico who suggested, like, let me just, like, dunk it in fake blood and just hold it up in the air and the residual, like, blood left on it will drip all over the place. And that's, like, the shot that we ended up using. And, uh, you know, I think, like you know i felt like we speaking just for myself like towards the end there i was just you know a combination of like the weather and just like how late it was like i wasn't at 100 percent, but luckily like everyone like we had this great family to kind of pick up the slack where i was like you know definitely like and i think that we got it done but you know i was just so thankful that you know we it wasn't entirely on my shoulders towards the end there like i mean that's again it's just like that's why you prep that's why you foster a collaborative environment on a set because you know we we just had to get it done at the end of the day yeah i mean
2: from my the 80s perspective like you basically were willing and like had made the decisions that you basically needed to make at that time in order to get it done uh, and have something t- to, to put together. You know, like we, we had a, a certain lit list of shots for each of these kills, and you basically, a- almost without me having to suggest it, you basically would like just slip down to the one shot that you needed for it to work, or maybe the two shots. And so that's kind of how that last couple hours went, and that's how it was able to to get done. And I just think you, under that pressure, you just made the right decisions um, when you had to, and I think that's that's kind of why it worked. Because, you know, in another world, like you could be like, no, like we have to get this, this, that, that and that. I'm not, not going to move on until I get all these things for each one. And, you know, really lucky that you didn't do that because uh, that probably wouldn't have worked out so well. We would have uh, had some big issues.
0: <laughs> well, I mean, like part of the social contract that I asked people to enter on the movie was, you know, 12 day shoot, super low budget. You know, we have to have a good attitude and we can't be precious about things. And I took it very seriously that that applies to me, too. You know, it wouldn't have worked if I was being super precious and like egomaniacal about things when (laughs) that wasn't at all like the the culture of the set. So like that's uh, so I I bought into that entirely, too.
4: There was also just like the respect that you had for trying to keep us to 12 hour days because, you know, each of these people was giving, you know, all they had for those 12 hours and the actors were, you know, freezing their butts off and uh, like. Nico had a, a a lot to do, and so Laura, in terms of just like both of them had some some clothing changes that working in the cold was going to be a little difficult. And we did our best to guard them from it. But like part of that is uh, keeping to the twelve-hour days, and you know making it so that everyone's going home because people also did have to like even though we were staying close to set, people did have to be driven home, and you know we are keeping it safe. And when it's five a.m. and you've been freezing for several hours and you're not making the best decisions uh you know it's just about keeping people's morale high and safe and i think that really worked
2: yeah totally um all right so i think we should get to our final five questions uh liz do you want to take the first one
1: yes um what's the first film y'all ever made and how do you feel about it now
2: and i think you should both answer separately so sean go and then gavin go
0: um are we talking features or shorts anything yeah first thing well um appropriately for the cabin that we shot in um, when i was six i made my first short (laughs) at this cabin called the invasion which uh starred only my family members and it was like in the wake of independence day and i was obsessed with space aliens and already like knew i wanted to make movies and i i'm sure it's unwatchable now like my cousins and i like made like paper alien masks and like colored them with magic marker and basically like chased our cousins around the house and murdered them <laughs> which uh this goes to show you i have not come very far between six and 31 <laughs> years old so i guess that's my uh, answer gavin
4: i kind of got into filmmaking um in high school as a way to cut class cause the video class uh, would like to check out a camera and go off campus uh, so a lot of my early stuff was me and my friends uh, just making bad music videos of, like, chase scenes and, like, dance-offs. Um, I'd say we probably still have some good dance moves, but maybe the framing could have used some work looking back.
2: Um, nice. Yeah. Uh, what's the best filmmaking advice you've ever received? Sean, you go.
0: I, I think uh, talk to your cinematographer.
4: <laughs> nice
0: before the shoot, and during. I love it. Gavin?
4: Something that kind of comes to mind, and, like, it's kind of a, a, a mixed thing, but uh, a great gaffer, uh, Craig Ryan, who I used to work with under a lot, um, would occasionally tell me, like, when I would come up with, like, a really kind of extravagant thing, or, like, a last-minute, like, big ad or change that I wanted to do, he'd just say, hey, Gavin, this isn't that show. And... At the time, I took it as like, kind of, uh, you know, like, you're trying, you're you're being a little too extra right now, calm down. Uh But like, um, part of it too, is just like, each show has its own demands, each story has like its own thing that needs to, like happen to be to have the story be told. And sometimes that is a budget limitation that forces you in a direction that like, maybe you have like this big amazing idea that like, could work if you had the money and time but the story those aren't the building pieces that you use them to tell it and so like when what you're working on isn't that show you need to figure out what it is and uh make it work so the story still gets told in a way that you're happy about and that like services the story so that kind of sticks with me a lot
0: nice
1: i love that um what are your goals as filmmakers
0: i mean i think for me if i'm able to just keep doing this uh (laughs) i mean i'd be happy making red snows for the rest of my life but i think (laughs) the big thing for me is finding a way and i and i think this is what everyone feels is just like finding a way where you don't have to go the crowdsourcing micro budget route not having to invest your own money Finding a way to kind of have more financial independence where where, where you're still able to work with your friends and still able to do, you know, these fun horror things with like a certain degree of autonomy. I think that that would really be my goal.
4: Yeah, similarly, um, I I just want to continue to be able to help people tell amazing stories and get to work with people that I really respect and have a good time, uh, like meshing with and helping tell their stories. Just That's it's really enjoyable to get to make something beautiful and uh, extract something from someone's brain and put it onto uh, video chips.
2: Nice video chips. (laughs) If you could go back in time, what's the one piece of advice you would give your younger self?
0: Um, I, I think that I definitely went through the film school thing of... I went in like a total genre movie kid and then I came out thinking that genre movies are somehow less than even if it was like a subconscious thing. So I think I would go to my college self and just be like, cut that shit out. Like, you know, you love genre movies. Like a lot of times, like the most meaningful stories can be told in the genre space. I mean, like, look at what Jordan Peele is doing. Like he's made a whole career out of that. And it's like, You know if if genre is your thing especially like horror like own that i would say um because i definitely wasted a lot of time not making horror movies when it was always kind of my thing you know so i think just you know respect genre
4: um and something i I mean i'm still kind of struggling with it but like um taking those times where you're not immediately working on set as someone who you know Most of what they're doing is working on set or planning about working on set, but taking those times where things are a little slower or like if you decide to say no to something, that's great because this is time for you to work on yourself and, you know, look back at like what you're not happy with, with your own performance or like what you could be doing better and just work on being okay with those times where you're not working directly on set
1: finally is making movies
0: hard yes but it's worth it
4: yeah (laughs) It, it, it is very difficult but like thankfully it's one of the coolest things about it is that it is this beautiful group activity where you do get to surround yourself with really cool people who make it even though it's difficult like a really really uh joyful experience
2: awesome that's fantastic guys um so where should people go if they want to find out more about you or red snow or whatever um sean where should people go
0: um i think i i have a website i I haven't updated it in a while but it's just my name sean dot com. um i i need to put up some more stuff about red snow and stuff but uh also, like, my first features out there, prep school. Um, I just actually saw that it's on IMDb TV, which is, like, ad-based. Like, you can just watch it for free. It just occasionally ads will intrude in, like, the least artful place imaginable. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I think just uh, I'm out there.
2: Nice uh what about Red Snow? does have a facebook page potentially oh yeah yeah um
0: it's on uh i believe it's just if you look up red snow movie on facebook and then um our our twitter or not twitter we don't have a twitter our instagram is uh red snow the movie and we there's a lot of i tried to do at least one photo a day all throughout the time we were shooting and i saved a bunch of like stories and stuff that we did so yeah i definitely check that out if you want to see some uh some cool vampire effects and that sort of thing. You could just check out our Instagram.
2: Nice. And then uh, Gavin, what about you? Where can people find you?
4: Um, I share a similarly clever naming convention. It's uh, GavinVMurray.com uh, and also on Instagram. Uh, v is in Victor, although it's for Velasquez.
2: Nice. <laughs> v for Victor. But it's actually Velasquez. I love it. Um, all right, guys, well, this has been fantastic. Thanks so much for yeah, being thank on you. the show
0: i'm honored um, to be here yeah thank you for having
2: us yeah and uh, i'll also just say it was a real pleasure making this movie with you guys and i would do it a million more times over it was so much fun and i'm really proud of the work that we did so thank you sean for letting me be a part of this film
0: well thanks for being a part of it like it wouldn't have worked without you all right <music>
2: Thanks for listening and thanks to Gavin and Sean for coming back on the show and talking about Red Snow. I also want to like do a little subliminal plug here or not subliminal, totally bliminal, whatever that is. <laughs> for Gavin's podcast, um, Is This Still Good? Which I've been on three times now. And I'm gonna be on the Christmas episode. And basically the whole part of the, pod, the whole podcast is, is basically about like movies from childhood that, that we loved when we were kids and then watching them now and like oh, debating my, like, okay, are they still good? Like, do they still hold up? And then like we did Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. We did um, the Mission Impossible movies, the first three. Mm-hmm. And then the other one I did with them was, oh yeah, Jingle All The Way.
1: <laughs> Ooh. My, friend, uh, my friends, Laura and Marshall had a podcast just like that called, Do I Still Love It? Which, oh, nice. But I think they stopped. Oh, really? so who
2: knows this is one of those coronavirus podcasts that like popped yeah. up when everyone went on, you know <laughs> on lockdown yeah um so yeah it, but they're still they're still going strong um they actually you know just hint hint they mentioned they want to have you on to talk about some movies um, oh so yeah yes yes <laughs> i i said that you'd probably be down
1: <laughs> <laughs> Always. i think so betty would ask me to do something i'm like, yes. Yes.
2: But uh, but anyways, go check out uh, Is This Still Good? Um, As well as just check out Gavin and Sean as filmmakers. They're both very talented. Gavin's this shot, I think, three features now. Sean's directed two. He's sure to direct many more. Um, You can also check out our website at where you can find links to the things we talked about in this episode, including some of Gavin and Sean's work. Um, Sean also has a podcast. This isn't fair. I have to... Sean's podcast. He has a podcast called Tapeheads, which I've also been on to talk about uh, Terminator. And this is a very similar style podcast, but instead they, it's all VHS. So a guest brings a VHS over and then they watch. we actually watch the VHS together in Sean's house with his, his wife, Lindsay, and they do the show together. And then we talk about it right after we watch the movie. So I like Sean and Lindsay's approach a little bit because it's like, they actually force you to watch the the movie together, Um, you know, and they made me breakfast when I came over. It was very nice. Um,
1: Not to like ruin them again, but that's what Marshall and Laura did (laughs) on their Do I Still Love It podcast. They forced you to watch it with them. They should all get together gavin sean laura marshall and have a mega like (laughs) just have like um like a super group podcast
2: yeah i mean i wonder how many podcasts within this like relative like sector of what or i don't know theme of a podcast there are there are probably like hundreds of podcasts that do this exact same thing (laughs) So if you have a podcast that, that you do this, <laughs> share it with us, I'd love to, love to hear about it. <laughs> um, but if you want to get in contact with us, even to share that podcast, you can send us an email to podcast at hard.com, Or you can just tweet at us on Twitter, Facebook, and or Instagram at MMIH Podcast. I am RfB on Twitter and Instagram and Liz, where are you?
1: I'm Liz Manichal on Twitter, crawling, stumbling towards 2,000 followers and Liz Minichal Film on Instagram.
2: What are you at, like 1, 1,950 or something or? No,
1: 1915. 19, I'm too, two followers away from a good movie. <laughs> followers away from a
2: good movie. There you go. Uh, I love it. Uh, if, you, <laughs> if you want, uh, you can also tell a friend about the show. Just tell a friend. Tell them that you should find this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher or anywhere. Uh, but you can also go to the same places on iTunes or Stitcher and leave us a review or even just like like a rating. You don't even have to write any words. You can just like rate us five stars and go along with your day. It's very fast. I've done it before. Um, and yeah, and then also, uh, thanks to me for editing this episode. Hopefully on time this time, knock on wood. Thanks, Ulrich. Um,
1: thanks for editing.
2: <laughs> and then talk to you guys next week. Oh, we should also say happy holidays. Uh, happy New Year. This is our New Year's episode um happy
1: 2021
2: say, yes happy 2021 like i mean the theme i'm hearing is that like 2021 is going to be better than 2020 no matter what happens so yeah. let's all have a good start to the to, to 2021 and hope things actually are better
1: <laughs> they couldn't not be yes okay. fine Welcome to Making Moves is Hard, the podcast about the struggles of being an everyday independent filmmaker. Crap, I can't just ruin that. I have to say the exact thing. All
2: right. <laughs> we had no blooper last week because there was, no, there was nothing to pick from, so now we'll have a blooper for this one. Yeah,
1: at the very least, I, I've contributed that. Uh, Welcome to Making Movies is Hard, the podcast about the struggles of uh, the independent filmmaker. I keep on fucking that up. Uh, I'm going to do it one more time and it's going to be perfect.
3: The struggle of being independent